Well, we did suggest last week that you should expect a response to non-farm payrolls no matter what. Well, they came in a little softer with the revision down on previous months as well. And all of a sudden, expectations for future rate rises from the Fed have dropped and so have bond yields quite a bit. The same deal for Canada. So does that mean the Aussie dollar skyrockets? Well, not really. Uh, It's up, but not by that much. Why? Well, China is still a problem, even if they are about to start buying Australian barley again. It's Monday, the 7th of August, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, bond yields fell quite a bit on Friday. Ten-year treasuries lost 14 basis points, so they finished the week only up eight basis points. In fact, it was up near 4.2% on Friday, the high of the week. Then the big fall happened. Uh, The biggest fall was in five years on Friday, which were down 16 basis points, down less than 12 for two years. Two and five years actually finished the week with their yields lower, whereas the lower, longer end still managed to push higher despite Friday. Friday also saw 10-year gilt yields in the UK down nine basis points. Aussie 10-year futures were only down three on Friday, but of course they hadn't seen quite the same rise in yields. So the week finished pretty much where it started from last week. Uh, We saw a half percent fall in the US dollar on Friday. The Aussie managed to climb some of its lost ground. It was up 0.3% on Friday, but down 1.2% over the week. It was actually the worst performer of the G10 last week. And equities continue to suffer in the US. The S&P lost half a percent on Friday, down 2.3% over the week. The Nasdaq down 0.4% and 2.9% over the week. And the Dow 0.4% down on Friday, 1.1% across the week. So a terrible week and for tech as well. But also for Germany, the DAX fell 3.1% last week, whereas the CSI 300, for all the concerns we have over China, its shares rose 0.7% last week, just about the only place where shares were actually going up. And commodities, a mixed picture. Oil was up. WTI went up 2.8% last week. But iron ore, even though it rose almost 1% on Friday, it was still down 4.7% over the week. So those bond moves driven by non-farm payrolls on Friday. Those numbers came in softer. Let's talk about that, first of all, with NAB's Ray Atrill in Sydney. I mean, there was an expectation that there would be 200,000 extra jobs in those payroll numbers. They came in with 187,000. You know, that is not a, a great deal lower. And yet we have this massive response in bonds on Friday. Yeah, there was indeed. Good morning, Phil. And, and just before I comment on that, can I just say how... Good, your interview with Eliza uh, Owen from Core Logic was on Friday. So, if anyone who's listening to this this morning and hasn't listened to that, can I thoroughly recommend it to you? After we finished um, here, but yes, you'd think that what hundred and I've got one hundred eighty nine or one hundred eighty seven thousand rise for payrolls. But what also attracted market attention was the fact that we had forty nine thousand worth of two month downward revisions to the uh, to the May and June numbers. So you put them together, and we're you know we're talking south of one hundred and fifty, and and the average payrolls gain now for the for the last three months is is about 210,000 I think um, or between 210 and 220 <coughs> excuse me and that's down from sort of 280,000 in the first of the four months of the year so there is some signs at least of uh, of some moderation there but against that unemployment rate down from 3.6 to 3.5 yeah. well how does and, that uh, make sense <laughs> if you if you've got you know if we've got softer jobs but we've got the unemployment rate falling well the reality is that um you know if you need you need somewhere between you know 100 150,000 jobs a month to keep the unemployment rate steady so if the unemployment mm. rate is going up 200,000 um i mean there was a quote there the unemployment rate is calculated from a different survey what's called the household survey as opposed to a 
survey of firms. So on a month-to-month basis, you can get some big disparities which can drive this sort of seeming anomaly between the unemployment rate and the non-farm payrolls numbers. But the reality is that, you know, the unemployment rate has been flat effectively um, between, what, 34 and 3.6%, you know, for much of the last year. So there was absolutely no sign um, that the unemployment rate is trending higher, even though payrolls growth may be moderating. And um, <clears throat> and the other yeah, interesting feature is the average earnings. Uh, but so we'll speak to, speak to those in a second because they haven't shown any moderation either. So in that sense, you'd right. say that the uh, you know there's a bit of an overreaction. But I think well, the, yeah, because the, the reaction that, is almost as though well, this is you know all positive signs that the Fed has to do uh, less now, and yet unemployment rates going the wrong way and as you're saying wages are, are, are holding up so you would have thought well no the fed still needs to keep at it well potentially yes so, i mean certainly on those earnings numbers um you know they haven't moderated stuck at 4.4 but remember we had that uh, we had some pretty good productivity numbers at the end of last week productivity grew at uh, over mm. a three percent annualized rate um in the last quarter and we had that relatively soft employment cost index so to to, to the extent that we are seeing some genuine productivity growth uh, in the US economy, wages growing at four, four and a half percent is going to be far less troubling uh, for the Fed than it might be from uh, central banks in other parts of the world, particularly down here. But if we put all the numbers together, I'd sort of perhaps summarize it as, as, as one of the analysts I was reading at the weekend said, there's, there's really, you know, for the FOMC hawks, um, you know, there's nothing for them to be screeching about saying, look, we need to go, we need to go higher. And yet for the FMC doves, I don't think there's anything for them to be cooing about to say, look, you know, we're definitely done here and, and the next move should be down. So, um, but I just think the extent of the bond market sell off that we'd had, you know, earlier in the week, which was sort of on other, I think mostly on supply factors, you know, following the BOJ's move, et cetera. But, um, you know, th- there's been a big move in, in quite a short period of time. So in that sense, positioning might have argued for um, for a quite smart reversal, which is exactly what we saw. On and these numbers very different, obviously, to the ADP payroll numbers that we saw earlier in the week. So, I mean, you know, we had a huge difference well, last time as well. So does that mean we can ignore well, more, the, more proof that we should continue to ignore, ignore ADP? Them. But the reality mm. is that on the day, uh, mm. you know, some people choose to trade them. Yeah. All right. Uh, the Canadian dollar lower because their employment numbers show job losses. So, uh, again, you know, presumably the expectation is less coming from the Bank of Canada. Well, yeah, I think we were already thinking that, that more likely than not, the, uh, the, the Canadians are done with, uh, obviously they, you know, they did, uh, restart the tightening process, didn't they? Um, you know, a month or so ago. So, um, but a six and a half thousand fall in employment against 25,000 increase expected unemployment rate has ticked higher. So, um, and we probably tick the box, famous last words to say that the Canadians are probably done. Uh, and certainly the currency markets thought that because it was the only currency that, uh, that fell against a generally weakening dollar on Friday. Yeah. Well, uh, and a weaker Aussie, wasn't it last week? A 1.2% fall. Of course, just about everyone was down against the rising US dollar, but the US dollar on the DXY, it was only up 0.4%. We lost 1.2%. Uh, of course, just about everyone was down, but the Norwegian krona climbed 0.6%. They, they were the best performers. So what is their secret? I mean, Sweden also doing well, the Scandinavians. So what can they teach us other than obviously how to thrash each other with the branch of a birch leaf after you've had a sauna and how to make meatballs? I mean, what is their secret? Or is it just down to, again, central banks? So, you know, is Norge Bank uh, expected to do more? They did a full 50 basis point last time uh, is it just that that's uh, that's driving currencies uh, i mean we know also obviously the aussie's suffering because of china but uh, oh, there's, there's lots of different factors there it does tend to be you know when the euro is rising often you'll see 
the Swedish krona, which is a less liquid currency, will, will outperform. Um, and the Norwegian krona, you know, sometimes is subject to, you know, the day-to-day vicissitudes of the oil market. And oil, oil was up on Friday, so that might explain the outperformance there. But I mean, as for the Aussie, yes, we had a little bit of recovery on Friday, but relatively meagre. I still think, you know, that the, the currency markets have played a little bit by, you know, the RBA's no change last week when there was some expectation of an increase and an increasing number of analysts suggesting that the RBA is now done at four. 4.1. We're not yet in that camp, but um, markets certainly flirting with that idea. And um, and I think you know the bigger sort of weight atop uh, atop the Aussie dollar is still you know China and the lack of really hard evidence, particularly of fiscal support being wheeled out to support um, you know the consumer and other sides of the economy. So I think that explains some of the underperformance. We did have a bit of good news on Friday, of course, with the um, China announcing it was lifting the uh, 80% duties uh, on barley imports. Um, so this was just as the, uh, well, according to the Weekend Australian, at least, China had seen sight of the WTO's report and uh, wasn't particularly complimentary towards uh, China's action. So that may have been a factor, but also you know, I've also read reports that um, China's struggling to meet its barley import demands from Russia because of uh, supply constraints there. So it may be a combination of those two right, things. Right, but if, if that is the but case, good news nonetheless. It, it is good news, but if, if that is the case that they're not able to get barley out of Russia, then that really limits the potential for China to lift any other uh, uh, import bans, doesn't well, it? Well, that's it, yes. I mean, certainly trade officials have been out en masse uh, since Friday saying, look, we've now got the template for uh, Australia just for China to do the same with respect to wine uh, exports into China, which is obviously a much bigger uh, sector in value terms, at least, anyway. Way, but um, reading a few things, that, uh, certainly the, the Lowy Institute was out cautioning against any sort of quick resolution of there and saying that, you know, Chinese wine producers are still, you know, asking for, for, for relief, if you like, from uh, from imports coming in from the rest of the world. So I, I'm not sure that we can quickly extrapolate from from barley to wine or, or any of the other things like beef and, and cotton that are still subject to some restrictions. Right. So the reaction we we saw on bonds at the, the end of last week. So that was non-farm payrolls plus perhaps just retracing what was an overreaction to the Bank of Japan response. Do you think that that's fair to say it was a combination of both those things? Well, a little, a little bit anyway, certainly. Certainly we've seen that, uh, you know, Japanese bond yields aren't marching higher towards 1%, which is the new hard yeah. cap on, on yields. They've, you know, been around sort of 0.6, 0.65, and we've had a couple of unscheduled bond buying operations by the Bank of Japan. So that shows that they're, they're, they're not yet steady. prepared to see yields sort of running away to the upside. Right. So I think that, uh, so that explains, that, that explains bonds. So what's going on with equities then? The bravado that we saw in US stocks. I mean, that just collapsed last week, didn't it? I mean, and, you know, we saw saw Apple shares fall 4.8% on Friday because their revenue fell a little bit, but not as much as expected, actually. And their earnings per share is up. Their gross margin is up. It doesn't seem that bad. But tech stocks are out of fashion all of a sudden. At least they were last week. Well, I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't go too far. I mean, look at Amazon, for example. I mean, they punched the lights out with their earnings on Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, yeah and the stock was up uh, best part of 10%, wasn't it? So, you know, as ever, we go into these and, and the expectation is that expectations will be exceeded. Uh, and in the case of Apple, you know, you didn't, they weren't punching the lights out compared to, um, you know, consensus expectations, unlike Amazon. So I think that's why. You know, we saw the stock do what it did, and the tech sector was the weakest, uh, the weakest part of the of the S and P. But in general, you know, I think we had something of a reality check for, for global stocks last week. The MSCI World Index was off two point three percent. I think it's its worst week since March. Uh, and I think there's a whole sort of litany of sort of macro factors, growth worries in Europe, obviously in China. 
so far unfulfilled sort of promises of meaningful policy support, the earlier rise in bond yields, even Fitch's you know, US credit rating downgrade, even though we don't think it's important in the scheme of things, obviously attracted a, you know, a myriad of headlines, didn't it? So I think, you know, in that sense, mm. I think the market's just saying, hang on, we've come a long way. Um, and, you know, not, all is not, uh, is not necessarily bright in the, in the global economic backdrop. Now, I'm struggling to find much going on today. Or, in fact, you know, it's a fairly quiet week generally, isn't it, this week? But today, I mean, it's a public holiday. Well, not a bank holiday, I should say, uh, in New South Wales. Interesting. What, to what, does that affect trading in any way if there's, a, uh, if there's a, a bank holiday? Is there stuff that can't be traded in New South Wales? Well, I think it's not a um, it's not a settlement day for the Australian dollar. Um, I might stand right. corrected on that when I see traders uh, later today. So, and it will be quiet. So, uh, certainly, it is just sort of banking and finance professionals who, for the reasons unbeknownst to me, still get this uh, this holiday uniquely in New South Wales. So, um, you know, there will be far fewer people milling around the, the CBD today. Um, but um, other than that, you know, for the rest of the rest of the world, it's, it's business as usual, effectively. So, um, right. you know, but I, no big no big reports. There's not. Much economics news it's a quiet one no it is i think we're you know i'm looking at the calendar and it's pretty spartan compared to last week we haven't got central bank decisions Mm. it's a pretty thin week for data but we do get us cpi on wednesday so remember those june cpi numbers in mid-july caused uh, some some pretty serious moves in in equities and currencies so um we get the july print on wednesday so i think what we're lacking in uh quality we might be making up for sort lacking in quantity we might be making up for in quantity this week at uh, but certainly it's quiet and and we'll get the nab business survey tomorrow so that's uh, gives us something to talk about uh uh, when we're in tomorrow morning. Right, rather than just saying, hey, just two more days now to US CPI. Uh, <laughs> we've got that. Thank goodness. All right, very good. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Ray. Catch you again next time. Thank you. Well done. Thanks, Phil. And as Ray was saying, yes, we did launch our weekend edition of The Morning Call. I won't go on about it anymore after this, but if you haven't heard the first edition, go back and have a listen to it. It'll be the one before this one on your podcast list. That's it for today. Back again tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 